Welcome back, everybody. This is Implicitly Awkward with one of your hosts, Alexia. And I'm your other host, Marcus. And today we're going to be talking about community organizing, policy, activism. We have a special guest. Yep, we have a special guest on the show today to guide the conversation about how we can stay active and talk about what a couple of things that are happening within the L.A. area. Yes, of course. And we're going to be talking about and discussing the um, horrendous acts and murder of George Floyd and what we all can do to take action. So this is a really important conversation. So buckle up. I hope y'all are ready. Lex, you ready? I am ready. Let's get to it. This is implicitly awkward. Cue the music. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Implicitly Awkward. Uh, this week's guest is Megan Castillo. Uh, Megan is a community activist and organizer. Uh, we met through our MSW program. Um, it was like the first day of orientation, and I walked in the room, and there were no other Black people, so I sat down next to her, and we've been chummy ever since. So what's up, Megan? Welcome to the show. What's up, y'all? Thank you for having me. I remember that day so vividly, Marcus. We... I literally walked in the room and I scanned and scanned and I said, boom, there's one other. Here I go. <laughs> yes. I remember looking around that room just like, man, all right, this is this is what California is like. This is what I've gotten myself into. All right, let's do it. <laughs> and our first conversation, our first, our little first conversation, I asked you about a barber because I needed a barber. And lo and behold, you gave me a number and shout out to Shaw. Okay. Shout out to Chuck, a surgeon. Okay, that man is great. <laughs> we love it. We love getting tapped in. Thank mm-hmm. you all for having me, for sure. Yeah, of course. This episode today is extremely important, and we're honored to have you on here. I'm honored to be on. Mm-hmm. Um. So just just so the listeners can have a little bit of background on you, um. Um, how did you get started with like community activism? Yeah, so that is kind of twofold. Um, so I actually lost a friend to police violence, um, Kenny Watkins. He was murdered at the age of 18 at the hands of the LAPD um, police force. And so that kind of rocked my world. I was a sophomore at the time. And, um, you know, it was always one of those things where I just felt distant from it. You know, I was misinformed, ill-informed, and I didn't really know the intricacies. And so when it hit home, it kind of woke me up. Um, that same that same year, my sophomore year, I took a class called Black and African Psychology. And it taught me the duality of the Black experience and how that is, you know, connected to black wellness black mental health and and the injustices and the oppression that we face and so that class paired with the the horrendous loss of my friend um definitely ushered me slowly but surely ushered me into my activist work fast forward to junior year of undergrad i myself and my co 
co-organizers um, who are also my sisters. Well, they're not blood sisters, but I call them my sisters in this work for sure. Started a movement called Hashtag Black at LMU. And that was a direct response to um, the injustices that Black students face at the institution of Loyola Marymount University. Um, but, you know, we mm -hmm. recognize that those injustices are not unique to LMU. It's merely a byproduct of the institution as a whole. And so mm -hmm. we wanted to call direct attention to the Black experience as Black students at LMU. And um, that was my real first moment, or not really moment, but like first time being an organizer, right? So I had to call on the student body, um, lean on my, my faculty, lean on my staff who were supporters of the movement, lean on alumni who chimed in. Um, and we met weekly, monthly with administrators to address and raise demands um, of community concerns. And as a result of our efforts, um, they actually hired more Black staff and now we're seeing um, a diversity initiative, which I wish I was still there to like follow up on. But now we're seeing a diversity initiative um, being birthed out of, you know, movements such as that. So that's kind of how I got my start in, in organizing. And obviously, you know, growing up in a low income city, um, I was I was not I'm not new to this. You know what I mean? Like I witnessed firsthand what um, oppression and, mar and being a product of marginalized community looks like. And so I kind of already had that lived experience and I, I just used that, that experience to inform um, what I do now. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear about your friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank y'all. Well, yo, your work is appreciated and like, it's so... It's so necessary. And like, we were kind of talking about this before, like the show started, like this, like the timing of this episode and like what's going on, like within the community, within the national community, um, like rest in peace, George Floyd, mm -hmm. um, like talking about community activism, how we can get involved. Like, if not now, like right now is the perfect time to be talking about this. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And the fact that you experienced such a tremendous loss like that and actually took action and made a change specifically at LMU through your action, like, I, I think that that's key. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, it was it was new. It was new, but I couldn't sit in my grief. I couldn't sit in mm -hmm. my sadness. Um, and I knew that the work, that I do now was required of me um, just on the grounds. I had the privilege, I didn't share this, but I had the privilege of traveling to Ghana and I actually stepped foot in what they call the castles, but you know, I refer to them as slave dungeons where they held my ancestors. And I stood at what is known as the door of return and I made a commitment to this work. And so I plan to, to continue to do that. That's facts. That's powerful. Right. I don't know if you can hear this, but I'm snapping right now. <laughs> yeah. Hard. Um. So, like, let's just dive into it. Like, we were talking about um, protesting, and you shared with us that you were on the highway 
Oh, was it the 101 or is it the 110 last night? Yeah, yes. My goodness. Hmm. What a moment. What was that like? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. It was like an outer body experience um, mm. to be amongst so many people um, in the midst of a pandemic, right? Like we've been seeing, mm. we've been mm-hmm. seeing folks take to the streets for the last three weeks. Folks who are avid Trump supporters, I'm just going to say it, right? Because this is mm-hmm. this is about having hard conversations. Folks who are mm-hmm. racist and nationalist and white supremacists taking to the streets without their mask and mm-hmm. without, you know, the necessary, taking the necessary precautions, but simply on the streets because they want a haircut or because mm-hmm. they are outraged mm-hmm. that they can't sit in a restaurant right now and but they're not standing up for justice when it comes to lost lives. Yeah. Right. So none of their stuff said we are outraged because, you know, folks are dying by the thousands every day. They weren't outraged because folks are not getting the necessary resources they need. So it's just a matter of looking at the juxtapositions between what's going on in the world right now. And so I'm not going to hold y'all. I, it took all day for me to decide if I was going to put my body on the line, right? Because mm-hmm. I still have a family that I have to come home to. And mm-hmm. I still have to make sure that I'm safe and well and, you know, I can persevere. But it's for that same reason that I took to the streets. Because I do have the privilege of having a family to come home to. George Floyd doesn't. Right. His family doesn't have that that capability anymore. Breonna Taylor's mm-hmm. family doesn't have that anymore. Ahmaud's Aubrey family doesn't have that anymore. Kenny Watkins' mom does not have that anymore. And so when I look at my positionality and the privilege that I have, I have no choice but to stand on the front lines. It is my duty to do so. Um so it, it was it was definitely an out-of-body experience. And of course, you know, in the midst of a real organized um, convening of folks, a real organized protest. There are people who show up to agitate and to distract, but you have to stay head fast. You have to stay yeah. vigilant and you have to remember why you're there. A hundred percent. And I think you bring up a good point of like what you're standing up for and why you're going out there versus other people who are going out there because an infringement on their privilege right. versus actual murder actual racist hate acts that are happening right Mm -hmm. exactly exactly and a lot of respond so go ahead go ahead go ahead you finish i've seen a lot of folks who are um disturbed by the idea of taking to a highway and inconveniencing innocent civilians and i i'm not that i find it funny but i just think it's interesting that they would call attention to the inconvenience, right? But the loss Mm -hmm. of a life and having to watch Mm -hmm. the loss of a life be plastered is not considered an inconvenience Mm -hmm. to them. And granted, those folks are potentially innocent, you know, civilians. I don't know what they're saying, but it's the principle, right? It's understanding that when you take over a highway, you're deliberately calling attention to a cause, right? 
let's look at how highways were created. So when we're talking about gentrification, when we're talking about oppressive barriers, when we're talking about the separation between classes, we can clearly see that through highways. Those are man-made barriers for the poor and the rich, right? They were deliberately mm-hmm. created so that folks were didn't have to inconveniently drive through a poor community. And so standing on the highway is a direct disruption of that, a direct disruption of saying, you will not ignore what's going on in our communities. You will not turn a blind eye to what's going on. You're going to pay attention. You're going to see, and you're going to be inconvenienced because we're inconvenienced. Right. It's a, direct, mm-hmm. it's a it's a form of civil disobedience. Um, and so when we look at it that way, I mean, I hope that, you know, it would encourage listeners to have the hard conversation about why do folks do what they do? Is it a response? Is it a reactionary response? You know, why? Why are folks taken to the streets? Why are they calling attention to this? Mm-hmm. No, you bring up a good point about like the inconvenience part, right? Um, because like, wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago? Um, I forget what city it was in, but people stormed like city hall with like automatic weapons, um, and like they were all up in the like the police's face, and no one was harmed, no one was like killed, but you know, it was a white crowd, so like they just they everybody got home safely. But, like, if you look at, I don't know if y'all saw this, but in Minneapolis, like, yeah. it was really going down last night. Um, it was yeah. really going down. And, like, I don't know. Like, they had, like, the there's, like, there's gas everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, like the, the, the response is so different depending on, like, the crowd. Um, because, like, some people will call it civil disobedience. Others will call it, like, rioting, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then like, but then like, you take um, if somebody if like a city wins like uh the Super Bowl or like the Stanley Cup, what do the fans do? They riot, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah. no one gets hurt for it because they're just fans. Um, but if it's actually about like trying to call attention to the fact that there was an injustice, someone got killed that did that was un- unnecessarily like happened. All of a sudden, it's a threat to like the uh the public like the the general public instead of just like oh it's just it's just fans being fans like the the response is so different and I, like it's it's baffling to me i've always wondered about that right right yeah no for sure i think i'm i'm glad that you raised that point because there is the difference between the rhetoric and there is the difference between the response and one of the main differences is the communities by which they're policing, right? White folks, mm-hmm. just on the grounds of white supremacy, on the grounds of their skin, are extended grace, right? That They can stand in the face of a police officer and law enforcement and have guns. Let any one of us who were out there unarmed yesterday have a gun. It would have been a wrap. Yeah. It would have been a complete yeah. wrap. And so while folks would consider what happened in Minneapolis to be rioting, um, I honestly, I, I saw this quote um, and I forgive me, I don't know who it was written by, but it was a discussion about looting and looting being a natural response to a very mm-hmm. unnatural capitalistic system, right? Like it is an immediate yeah. form of disobedience 
to an oppressive entity that directly attacks anti-black capitalistic capitalism because it you know folks are going in target folks are going in walmart folks are literally saying we're not standing for this no more why should we give our money to the entities that inadvertently um oppress us why why, why right. would we do that um and then also it's a stance on gentrification get this out of here <laughs> you know what i mean like let's support our local businesses but let on the grounds of knowing that we're not going to continue to stand for this and i know a lot of folks would disagree like why why rob your own community well let's just be real like walmart is not investing in our communities Target is not investing mm -hmm. in our communities. Definitely not. So we have to call attention to how these entities are taking up space in our communities. So I have a question in terms of how can people get involved? How can people who are non-Black also be allies? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a question that I'm still personally trying to figure out, right? Like, as I navigate mm -hmm. as a Black person, um, it, is, it is becoming increasingly important for me to see, you know, other folks who don't look like me standing on the front lines because... I can't do this work alone. We black folks can't do this work alone. It's going to take real anti-racist folks, a real anti-racist mm -hmm. framework at the crux of whatever work, whatever allyship you want to do, you have to be an anti-racist, right? Like you, I, I don't know what that looks like because I'm not white, right? And then for non, mm -hmm. for non-black folks of color, it looks like solidarity. You have to rid yourself of anti-blackness for one, because I'm an avid believer that once black folks are free, we all get free. And so at the base, at the very base, we have to all rid ourselves of anti-blackness. That goes for black folks too. Like we've been instilled, we've been miseducated to believe that black folks are somehow inferior. And so we have to do a lot of unlearning um, we have to rid ourselves of being socialized um, because that's just that's just what it is. That's the nature of the work. To be an ally means to be anti-black. It means that you are not anti-black, right? And it means that you have mm -hmm. to be anti-racist mm -hmm. actively. That's not just posting on social media. That's not just, mm -hmm. you know, reposting and sending that one text like, hey, like, so sorry to see what's going on. Like, that's that's good, right? That's a step in the right direction. But we need your time. The movement requires your resources. The movement requires your money. And the movement requires your body. Real talk. Like, I'm so tired. Like, I'm super tired. But... I have to give my time, my money, my resources, and my body to this fight because it demands that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it takes sacrifice, right? Um, because having conversations like this 
<clears throat> and actually, again, we were kind of talking about this before the show. Like, having conversations like this can be draining um, because sometimes, at least for me, yeah. it feels like it's over and over. It's very cyclical. Um, something happens. We talk about it. And then we forget about it. And then something else happens. And then we talk about it. And then we forget about it, right? Yeah. And, like, it feels like we're on, like, a, um, what is that, like, a hamster wheel where we're just running and just, like, getting tired but not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah. even though it may feel draining. And I was actually talking to my mom about this. She was saying I should take a break from all this, especially since it's all going on. I can't. I, I'm not allowed to. Like, I can't get off the wheel. Um, I remember um, I was in a training, uh, I think, um, I was in a training and the, the, the host basically said that uh, this work, like anti-racism work, is like being on an escalator and like the escalator is going down and you're going up. Um, but, like you're just, it feels like you're not going anywhere, but like I can't get off the escalator. White folks have the privilege of getting off the escalator whenever they like. They can get off. Um, but we don't um, because it's just kind of like the situation that we're in. So we have to, one, embrace that. But then, like, we need people who are willing to stay on the escalator with us. Um, and, like, that's right. And I was thinking about, like, um, uh, again, the uh, George Floyd, uh, the police officer that put him on the ground put an uh put his knee on his neck um even though he was saying he can't breathe and then i'm thinking about the police officer that was also on the scene who looked to be he looked like he was asian from the pictures that i've seen yeah i believe he he was and i'm like you're watching your your coworker kill someone but you're not doing anything about it for the sake of for the sake of your badge, for the sake of your job, like I don't understand that. Like so, um, like people of color, like like we want solidarity, but like, but there there is a difference, you know. Like it's not like we can't all just be people of color. Um, when stuff like that is happening, right? It's not fair to lump everybody together because like the struggles are just not the same. Right. Not to say there aren't any other struggles, because there are. There are definitely struggles for for the Asian community, absolutely. Yeah. Coronavirus, um, all that blame that you know, all that unnecessary blame. But at the end of it, like a life is lost, and that guy watched it happen. Um, it's right. so crazy to me. He didn't just watch it; he let yeah. it happen. Right? He enabled that mm-hmm. kind of behavior. He didn't check. His, his friend and say, or his, his colleague and say, this is excessive, right? We literally, like, this is the part that, that makes it difficult for me. And, you know, we briefly had a conversation about this, on, about social media posting. The world has mm-hmm. literally watched a Black man be lynched. This was a modern day yeah. lynching. And, and while I appreciate the ability for folks to utilize social media and technology the way that we have, you would never catch a white body being murdered on social media. Mm -hmm. You will never see that, right? And so on the one hand, you want the world to see just how racist America is. But on the other hand, 
this is clear signaling that we can traumatize you even in the mist, right? Like we can we can do whatever we want even in the mist. There were there had to have been at least 10 people who were there who were pleading for that man's life to be spared. And we couldn't mm-hmm. do sh- nothing about it. We couldn't do anything about it but record. And so, yes, we want to archive. We want to be able to call that out and see it and really visualize what America is for what it is. But then on the other hand, we are all unintentionally inflicting more harm and trauma onto our communities by having to rewatch this. Because this is clear signaling that Black folks are inferior. Even, you know, who cares? Who cares about this Black life? And so it's just, it's been very difficult, right? As a Black woman Mm -hmm. to to have watched that and to see, and I was having a conversation with my friends about this, but there were, like I said, multiple people who were pleading for his life. He was pleading for his own life. There's a white male officer literally on the neck. This man could not breathe. And then you have a Asian, Asian American, I'm assuming Asian American officer enabling this kind of racist white supremacist entity. And then I don't know if you all saw it in the video, but there was, I want to say a store clerk who came up and he was saying, it's okay, y'all. It's okay. Like he's on drugs. He's ODing. He's ODing. How are you literally justifying the Mm. death of George Floyd when we clearly see that this man is being murdered, but you're going to try to justify it with some other nonsensical stuff. And this is what we've seen happen time and time again in terms of the assassination of the body mm-hmm. and then following thereafter the assassination of the character. And it's not, yeah. it's not by accident. You know, it, it's, it's all a part of the system. This is how it works. Um, mm-hmm. I want to take it back just a second to address um, the Asian officer. And and this is 100%. If we don't have these conversations as a person of color, a non-Black person of color, we're complicit. If we don't say Mm. anything, we don't try to take action with our... um, black friends people everybody like we are a part of the problem if we just Mm -hmm. stay there yeah and and it's completely unacceptable as soon as we can find a little bit of way to feel um i would say to be accepted by this privileged white supremacist group like my people come on do better do better It is just so upsetting. It is so upsetting to be so complacent. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was talking to Marcus about this in class, um, that hearing multiple students be like, oh, I don't want to re-talk about this, about, you know, going through X, Y, Z because of my race or my ethnicity or my heritage because it's Mm -hmm. re-traumatizing. You know, that's, I, I understand that point, but at the same time, we have to have these conversations to get anywhere. Right. So are we just going to stay complacent? Right. 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 
that's the difficult part about it, right? Because your your complicity, you know, folks who are complicit in this could mean my death. <laughs> and so, right? Mm-hmm. So when we were initially having mm-hmm. this conversation, right. I'm like, what does allyship look like? I'm like, I don't really know, but I know what it's not. And it's not being mm-hmm. silent. It's not standing on the sidelines and just watching and let it happen. Like that, that to me is clear a slap in the face that's a clear indication that you have no regard for my life or the lives that have been lost and you are just a pawn in the system and so Mm -hmm. that that doesn't work for me and I I remember this quote again I don't know who said it but silence is violence right you are actively or passively playing a role in violence like how do folks sleep at Mm -hmm. night knowing that they're turning a blind eye to this Right. Um, saying that, like, um, well, if they did such and such, maybe that would have happened. Mm. Or, well, if they hadn't just looked at the officer that way, this wouldn't have happened. Or, like, they're on drugs or something like that. Yeah. Like, always trying to find some type of, um, some type of, like, qualification of why it happened, right? Yeah. Um, like, I remember, like, uh, uh, all right, I remember being in Cleveland, Ohio, and then in college when Tamir Rice got killed and like rest in peace, man. Like that kid was 12. That child, that child was 12 years old. And like, I remember just being in the lunchroom, like, like just like ranting to anybody that would listen. Like I was in the, I was in the, um, I was in line. I was talking to this guy like, yo, like, that kid was 12, like straight up. Like, how can you say that any of this is his fault? And like, you know, he just went to school with me. He's like, well, he shouldn't have been playing with a toy gun outside. Well, he shouldn't have been doing this. He shouldn't have been doing that. And like, I just kept thinking about like, um, every single every single year for Christmas, like, what, like, isn't it TBS? They play like twenty four hours of a Christmas story, which is literally, <laughs> literally the story of a white kid in Cleveland who wanted to get a BB gun. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? What is? <laughs> where's the disconnect here? Like, what? I don't get it, man. Like, I don't like. And then also, I'm. I feel like I'm jumping. Um, but I think, Megan, you brought up a point about um, uh, people trying to find a reason why or, like, trying to qualify things, right? Mm-hmm. Or saying, like, he was on drugs, so he deserved it. Yeah. Um, or something like that. No. Someone being an addict does not mean that they deserve death, right? Yeah. The same, the same way that, like, when people – the same way when people pass, right, sometimes – I'll see posts saying like, uh, this person was, uh, had a degree in this or was on their way to college to do this, blah, blah, blah. And like, shout out to that person, shout out to their titles, all their degrees, all that is important because like they worked for it, but it doesn't qualify why they deserved justice or why they deserve to live. Right. If that person was a plumber or just like a regular regular hairdresser, like it doesn't even matter. Like, regardless of what they did or what they were doing in life for an occupation, their, their life was, was taken from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I just wish that like we would, um, when we're remembering people, like we, we try to keep that in mind um, because sometimes it feels like we'll put like the title to try to qualify for whoever um, uh, to say that, like, look, look how hard that they work for such and such. They deserve to live um and i feel like they just deserve to live regardless of what they were doing 
No, that's uh-huh. facts. That's facts. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely mm-hmm. facts because it and this makes me think about how we prioritize which lives you know we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 definitely from an ableist positionality, right? Where like, oh well, they were a drug addict or mental health this, and they were schizophrenic that or whatever, whatever. It's like, how do we? Mm-hmm. How are we able to prioritize a life that? we perceive to have more potential than the others, right? And then it's that same conversation. We can take that broader conversation to that on the global scale, which I think we don't do often, or we don't do enough of, is like the Black Lives Matter fight, the Black Lives Matter, you know, freedom fight here in the U.S. is directly linked to that of Palestine. And shout out to Angela Mm -hmm. Davis for calling this out, but we have to be able to have that cross-sectional um discourse about what solidarity looks like um and this is just going back to the previous questions but how do we prioritize which lives right like we scream black lives matter Mm -hmm. here for sure and i scream all black lives matter because that's inclusive of trans women trans men you know what i mean like all all folks who identify as black y'all lives matter but we also have to recognize that simultaneously, USA is dropping bombs across the pond. And that's not okay either. And so I'm reminded of a quote from James Baldwin where he says, um, and I don't want to quote this wrong, but let me make sure I get it right. But he says, um, I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And so when I think about that, Mm -hmm. I recognize that critiquing the U.S., critiquing what goes on in this nation is an extension of my, my, my love and my desire for it to be well. I want Mm -hmm. my people to be well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm kind of, forgive me because I definitely took it in a different direction but I hear you Marcus and I I recognize the importance of that for sure oh it's all good Uh, we love to hear it we love you saying this is just this is just a good conversation absolutely Um, 100% you know Megan I was really thinking about when we had prior conversations about budgets you know I had no idea um, about the proposed budget in LA and that LAPD receives, I believe it's half of the budget with $3 Over billion. Half, dollars. Yes. Over half. I, I, that's just incredible yeah. to me. Yeah. So that's definitely something that blows my mind, right? So we've seen this time and time again where something goes awry they distract us with something and they use that opportunity of chaos and you know mayhem to usher in a steady dose of policing or surveillance or some form mm-hmm. of stricter white supremacist like whatever you want to say and so mm-hmm. as much as we want to believe LA to be like this liberal city the folks in office are literally n- n- ushering us into a police state and so, yes, you're correct. Mm-hmm. LAPD already receives about 54% of the budget. 
and the mayor has proposed that he increase or that we increase that budget by almost two hundred million dollars. And all the while they are, um, all the while they are decreasing and defunding other services, right? But steadily mm-hmm. trying to increase that, and so. It's interesting because a couple of days ago in the LA Times article, Chief Moore stated, you know, police, due to COVID-19, police are now having to, you know, serve as therapists and social workers and all of these things that we know police are not doing, right? Like, they're not equipped no. to be social no. workers. They're they, not no. equipped to be therapists. And if you ask the community, which we did, we uh, we issued a People's Budget LA survey where we surveyed all of, uh, a good number of LA city residents and we asked them, what do you want? They don't want police in their community. So how exactly are you serving as therapists mm-hmm. and social workers when folks don't even want you around, right? Like, are you causing more harm, which we know police officers, particularly LAPD, which is the most murderous entity, the most murderous entity, is causing more harms to our community than good. And so I'm glad I'm glad you bring that up, Alexia, because um, I want folks to go to peoplesbudgetla.com um, just to tap in, read up on what's going on, and become more informed of what's going on in LA, local LA politics, because ultimately what happens in LA is happening in California and what's happening in California is mm-hmm. happening at a national level. So what happens at a local level is sure to impact what's happening nationally. Um, and that's really, that's really important. That's really key. So yes, folks, please do tap in. Um, the LA city council meetings are happening rapidly now. So just try to keep up with what's going on. And for those who are interested in keeping up with going, follow Black Lives Matter LA on all platforms. So BLM LA on Twitter, BLM Los Angeles on Instagram. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. Thank you so much. And to be honest, like, I worked for LAPD as a social work intern, and I will tell you, a lot of those officers have a lot of issues, trauma, X, Y, Z, don't want to go to their, like, they are assigned to a mental health mm-hmm. service. And a lo- there's a lot of culture around it that um, a lot of them do not want to actually go um, just because it, it's seen as being weak or X, Y, Z. So police officers acting as social workers therapists xyz like no it's not happening chief (laughs) that is not it it's not happening but again megan thank you so much for coming on absolutely um i think i think it's important and i do want to kind of just close out with this like understanding that all work, all community organizing, activism work. If you are really about the people, you have to be from the position and the framework of abolition and transformative justice. We know that when we err on the side of reform, the system only gets stronger and worse, right? So we've seen that with the prison industrial complex. We've seen that with Brown v. Board of Education, like We've seen that. We've seen how if we err on the side of reform, it only gets stronger 
and it only gets harder for us to fight. And so we have to be on the position of abolition and transformative justice. Um, and we have to rid ourselves of, of what we've learned. We have to unlearn all the misinformation that we've been force fed by way of colonization, westernization, imperialism, all the isms, white supremacy. We just, we have to stand up for ourselves and we have to be there for each other. And one mm -hmm. last thing too, check in with one another, please, especially mm -hmm. during this mm -hmm. time. Um, yeah. Text messages and the calls that I've gotten through this particular pandemic have been astronomical and they have really been the fuel by which I move. And so I am incredibly appreciative to all the folks. I can tell y'all what y'all can do. I can also end with a, you know, what you can do right now if you'd like. No. Yeah, please. Yeah, for sure. Please. Okay, so some of the things that you can do right now is to for sure type it, tap into the People's Budget LA um, dot com. Read up on what's going on in Los Angeles County and what's going on with the budget. Watch and share the video of LAPD raiding the home of AJ Weber and his family under the guise of protection. This, it, it's it's crazy, right? Like we don't, A.J. Weber's name is not national, but it's the same injustice, right? This man was killed. Um, email Torrance City Council to demand that Torrance police officers, Michael Chavez and Matthew Con Ken, I can't pronounce his last name, but be fired for the murder of Christopher DeAndre Mitchell. Another name, another person whose name is not nationally known, but you can email them at torrencecameetingpublickcomment at gmail.com. And then for those who are interested in allyship, tap in with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Tap in with White People for Black Lives, Community Coalition, Central CIA. Um, CSO, tap in with all these grassroots organizations that are really on the ground leading the work, right? So when there aren't thousands mm -hmm. of folks marching in the streets, and when there aren't camera ops, and when there aren't large-scale disruption, the work continues. And so mm -hmm. it demands that you continue as well as we struggle for it. And so I appreciate the both of you for bringing me on and for allowing me um, to speak on this platform. It is so necessary and so needed. And again, I've already shared, but I am incredibly proud of the both of you. So thank you guys again. Yeah, that's that's such you. love. And like right before we go, I just want to echo one more thing that you brought up. If you love something, you'll critique it because that's the only way you can actually show that you love something, right? Because we're, we're only critiquing these things this system, our country, because we want it to be better for the people who come after us. Right. right. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly. All the, all the people, not not just uh, the uh, the people that look like me, sound like me. I'm like I'm talking about like everybody, right? Yeah. So like all about having these brave conversations, um, being uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable, and that's just what it is, right? But this is what we have to do, um, and our hope is that like having these conversations will inspire y'all to have these conversations with the people you feel like need to have it with, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And to and take yes, action. Facts. 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 That's absolutely facts. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been mm -hmm. an honor 
And again, everybody, listeners, um, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and you took away some things that you can actually do. Um, so again, that was Implicitly Follow Awkward. us on Instagram at, at Implicitly Awkward um, and on Twitter at Implicitly Awk, just A-W-K, because Implicitly Awkward was too long. <laughs> <laughs> yes please do all right Peace. everybody be well